Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Windhorse Publications podcast. My name is Dama Mega and I'm the Publishing Director. And today I am meeting with Vajratara. So there's a bit of a backstory here. About 20 years ago, we published a book by Kulananda called Teachers of Enlightenment. And we're about to bring out in July this year a new edition of this book with an update, uh, well, quite a few updates on the imagery and the figures that are on the refuge tree of the Tri Ratna Buddhist order. So this conversation will talk quite a lot about what inspiration is and means about um, Tri Ratna as a community, about two very important influences on um, Sangharakshita, uh, Anagarika Dhammapala, and Dr. Bimrao Ambedkar, both of whom are now on the refuge tree of the Tri Ratna Buddhist order and in the book. So Vajratara has stepped in to help uh, produce a new edition, as has Arloka, and uh, who's produced some new images for the book. So I hope you enjoy meeting Vajratara and hearing a bit more about how a community, how a Sangha builds and remembers lineage and inspiration. Hey, Vajratara. Hi, Dharma Mega. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Vajratara and I can see each other on the screen while we're speaking, um, which is really nice because we haven't seen each other for quite a while. Yes, and I'm in the bedroom that Dharma Mega used to live in at T. Ratnaloka. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So um, I'm with Vajratara today, who I believe is just between retreats at the moment, yep. which busy, a busy time to be. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about a new edition of Teachers of Enlightenment that we're about to bring out. It'll come out in June. And um, Vajratara stepped into this project uh, and has written quite a lot for the new edition of the book, including a new uh, sort of introductory section, plus the text for two new people who've joined the official refuge tree. But before we get to that, <laughs> uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, Vajratara, and why, why are you? Why did you get involved in this project? Um, well, the reason that I got involved in this project is two things. One of them is that I've been living and working at T Ratna Loka Retreat Centre for twelve years now, um, and been involved with it a lot longer. So I've been involved with the women's ordination process for a long time. So T Ratna Loka is where we train women for ordination. And we run these retreats and um, on the retreats, we uh, do the going for refuge and prostration practice of the Buddha Shakyamuni. And it's a practice that I've always loved. I've been doing it for the last 25 years uh, and I've always loved it. And we teach it regularly here at Tiratnaloka on the women's um, ordination training retreats. And um, I also um, have... Uh, I also have a connection with India and um, sometimes we do that pr uh, practice in India as well. And we've done it on order conventions in India uh, underneath the Bodhi tree um, in Bodh Gaya. So I've got a connection with it in doing it in the ordination training process, but also in India. Mm. So uh, let's, so let's, uh, some people will know what the going for refuge and prostration practice is. Some people will know what the refuge tree is, but if you don't, what's, what is a refuge tree? 
Wow. <laughs> Where do you start with all the refuge trees? It's it's something that emerged in Tibetan Buddhism, although I think the, the roots, as it were, um, the symbolic roots go um, much earlier than that in, in very early Buddhism. But in Tibetan Buddhism, they developed a practice where you'd have the founder of your particular school of Buddhism uh, in the center of um, a tree, which is more like a big lotus plant, really. Um, and surrounding that central figure would be a lineage of inspiration. So whether that's archetypal or mythological um, or actual historical personages, um, you'd have you'd have this central figure surrounded by their inspiration. And then what you do as a practitioner is that you visualize that tree, you say some verses of devotion, and then you prostrate towards that visualized image. So it's something that you see a lot in um, Tibetan Buddhism, particularly at the Mahabodhi Temple, where you'll see a lot of the Tibetan monks and nuns um, prostrating towards the Mahabodhi Temple where the Buddha gained enlightenment. Mm, great. So <clears throat> there's a book called Teachers of Enlightenment, which was written by Kulananda. And actually, I was just looking it up this morning. It was originally published in 20, well, 20 years ago, in 2003. And uh, the books now, we sort of run out of stock of the book, but we weren't just going to do a reprint of the book. We've, we've set out a new edition, which is what you've been working on. Um, and we set out a new edition because there have been some changes to the refuge tree. So a lot of the work has been to update the text and the imagery of the tree. So um, maybe you could say a little bit about um, about what's changed on the tree and why. Um, so the thing that's the main sort of change that you'll see on the tree is um, that there's two figures that we didn't have outside of India on our refuge tree before. So in front of Sangharachita um, and his teachers, there's uh, Dharmapala, Anagarika Dharmapala and Dr. Ambedkar. And these were figures that had been on the refuge tree that the Indian Sangha prostrates to, but not on our, our refuge tree outside of India. Um, and I went to see Panti because I was concerned that um, well, uh, what I said to him is I said, I thought it was mythologically divisive <laughs> to have two refuge trees, one in India and one outside of India, and that we're the same order, the same um, Sangha, and that we needed um, the same refuge tree with the same lineage of inspiration, that that applied to both of us. And Banti uh, agreed with me and said that we should put put them on as soon as possible. And I was very pleased with that, partly because those two figures have been a great inspiration to Bhante himself. You know, so obviously they're familiar, more familiar, those figures are more familiar in India than in the UK. But um, for Bhante, he said his main inspirations were um, Milarepa, the Buddha, Dr. Ambedkar and Anagarika Dharmapala. And so it's good to have all his inspirations there as sort of what's his, behind his creative energy in um, setting up the order and movement. There was a little uh, competitive conversation earlier about um, the process really of, of finalising the tree before Sangharakshita, before Bhante passed away, before his death. Um, and there are all sorts of questions about who is on the tree. Obviously, there's a the learning process, isn't it, about 
all of these teachers from all of these different traditions that are on the refuge tree with uh, the historical Buddha Shakyamuni at its centre. Uh, one of the questions at Tiratnaloka that you uh, you will often be asked, isn't it, is why are there not many? Why are there not more women figures on the tree? Um, so there's been this this change to the refuge tree, and since it was the last change that was made before Bante died, this is it. This is our refuge tree. Can you maybe just people will ask what is um, what is your thinking about that as a, as a college member as well as you know somebody who's teaching uh, men and women this practice? Well, I suppose there's a, a number of things. Sort of what is the refuge tree? And in our particular order. So as I said, in originally what you've got is you've got um, a refuge tree that's specific to each um, uh, particular movement in Buddhism or in Tibetan Buddhism, and you have the founder at the centre. We used to do the Nyingmapa version, which has um, Padmasambha at the centre. But Bhante rightly thought, he said, well, we're not really, go- that's not our central figure, Padmasambha, in our particular lineage. So he wanted to put um, ban- uh, the Buddha right at the centre and said that's where we, our primary uh, kind of inspiration behind our movement. And then he thought very, very carefully about how to, um, who to put on the refuge tree. He said um, he wanted to, he was very concerned he could hit with the Buddhist spiritual tradition as a whole. So you've got to remember that's Bhante's perspective. It's the Buddhist spiritual um, tradition as a whole. And he said, you know, there's hundreds of f- figures in Buddhism, but he wanted to choose the key figures who are um, what he called Buddhist religious geniuses who usually set up schools or who made a big difference in the transmission of Buddhism from um, India, Tibet, China, and Japan. So um, he chose them for their historic, though, I mean, we're mainly talking about the, the teachers of the past here, not the archetypal figures. But in the teachers of the past, he he really wanted um, teachers of the past who uh, reflect the Buddhist tradition as a whole and were very key in its development throughout, well, particularly uh, India, Tibet, China and Japan. Um, so they, he chose them for their historical significance within the Buddhist tradition. But he also chose them because they were his own inspirations, and he talked very freely about that. He said, "He said it's not really the teachings that they gave that he that made him choose them. It was more the the lives that they live, um, that they lived." So yes, yeah, so then you've got uh, Tara on the tree as an archetypal bodhisattva, and you've got Dharma Dinner, um, who uh, Bhante was very inspired by, who was a, a disciple of the Buddha. Um, and it said, roar the lion's roar of the Buddha. And then you've got Bhante's own teachers and inspirations that he had direct contact with. Um, so from that point of view, if you see the re- um, the refuge tree as the inspiration behind Bhante and as part of the, the sort of major tradition of Buddhism uh, through as it spread um, throughout India, uh, Tibet, China and Japan, then it makes sense that in a way you can't change it after he's died because it's his inspirations and um, he's looking at the Buddhist tradition as a whole, which leaves the question then, what do you do about um, those might not be the figures that inspire you personally? Um, 
But in a way, so you can you could develop your own refuge tree, but then it would be a personal myth, not a collective myth. It wouldn't be the order's refuge tree, it'd be your refuge tree. And what the refuge tree represents is a collective myth um, for the whole order, not just your own personal inspiration. I mean, a lot of us might have a refuge tree image and have other images and figures on our shrine, for example. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm very very um, inspired by the life of Yeshe Sogyal, um, Padmasambhava's one uh, main disciple, one of them, his main disciples, and um, uh, but I wouldn't put it on the refuge tree because it it that's my personal inspiration and maybe others' inspirations, but it wasn't. She wasn't a significant figure for Panti, um, and uh, you know, for for many other people, so it wouldn't be a collective refuge tree anymore. Hmm, thank you. I mean, I just think it's a really important part of the puzzle and it's a kind of thing that people ask when they encounter the refuge tree, like why, you know, who's there and why are they there in terms of teachers of the past and, and obviously the archetypal figures. That's great. So there are these two um, figures that have been on the Indian refuge tree that are now on our global, let's say, collective refuge tree, um, which is fantastic. And I mean, for me, it seems like a really important thing to to have. Um, well, I suppose to have those those Indian figures or those figures who worked in India, uh, who have been so deeply part of the revival of Buddhism in India, and obviously part of the history of the development of Tri Ratna as a tradition and as a community present. So, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about. Um, You've now written new sections um, on each of these figures for the refuge tree. And I know that you have quite a close relationship with them as well in terms of inspiration and knowledge as well. So maybe if you were just to introduce um, both of them, maybe starting with Dhammapala and Agarika Dhammapala. Yes, Anagarika Dhammapala is is probably the least known of the two for for our order, particularly outside of India. Um, but again, if you're seeing the, the refuge tree, I find it quite exciting because it is the spiritual influences of Panti. Um, it's behind him and how he set up the movement. Um, so Anagarika Dhammapala, I think what excites me about Anagarika Dhammapala is partly because Panti was so excited about him. So he wrote this book called Flame in the Darkness, um, which is a life of Anagarika Dhammapala. And I think this really influenced Bhante to see the spiritual life, not just about his own practice, but as about trying to bring that, um, bring Buddhism to uh, the rest of the world. So Anagarika was a great pioneer. He was one of the early Buddhist teachers who went to the West. Um, I think he was um, he was the person who first gave uh, um, an American, the refuges and precepts, or the American took them after Anagarika Dharmapala. He went to these big conferences about Buddhism um, outside of Sri Lanka. And um, he had a very uh, impressive personality. He was absolutely dedicated to going for refuge. And um, I think that's what really struck Bhante. Even from a child, he'd go um, to the Wesak celebrations, the Buddha Day celebrations, even though that wasn't allowed in colonial Sri Lanka. Um, he would skip school to go to the um, Buddha Day celebrations at the local temple. This wasn't frowned upon by, well, the colonial administration, but the education system, which expected 
children to be Christian. And um, he, every day when he went back to every year when he went back to school after Buddha Day Festival, he'd be beaten um, by his teacher. And every year he'd just do the same thing, go back, miss school, go to the festival, come back to school, be beaten. And um, I think that sort of demonstrates this kind of dogged persistence um, to say, no, I'm a Buddhist and Buddhism is a force for goodness in the world. Um, I mean, later it's very unfortunate because Dharmapala does get associated with Sri Lankan nationalism. And of course, in later years after Dharmapala, we've seen the ugly side of Sri Lankan nationalism, um, you know, which is, um, they often quote uh, um, Anagarika Dharmapala. So there's this unfortunate association with Sri Lankan nationalism, but I don't think well, that's what Dharmapala meant um, when he, um, he was trying to promote Sri Lankan culture and particularly Sri Lankan Buddhist culture uh, in a time of colonial oppression. So I think if you're confused about that or concerned, I think it is good to read Banti's book, Flame in the Darkness. Which is available in the um, Complete Works. I'll put a little link underneath the podcast with the volume link. Yeah, well, then you really get a sense of what he was like and why Banti was so inspired by him. He's also really associated with um, uh, trying to get back the Mahabodhi temple, which I've, I've referred to before, which is the temple that um, is where the Buddha gained enlightenment in northern India. And when Sri Lanka, um, when uh, Dr. Am sorry, when Anagarika Dharmapala was around, that was run by Hindus, and he was the one who really wanted it to become a Buddhist place of, of pilgrimage once more. He didn't manage it in his lifetime, but um, afterwards uh, it did happen. So, yeah, he just worked tire tirelessly for the promotion of Buddhism in Sri Lanka, outside of Sri Lanka and um, in India to regain the places of pilgrimage that we benefit from today. You write very movingly about the end of his life as well. Yeah, well, I think it's rather, you know, there's always um, to really give yourself to the Buddha Dharma, there's always going to be a going forth. And interestingly, what Dharmapala had to get, go forth from was um, being a monk. He desperately wanted to be a monk, um, but a monk can't handle money. And Dharmapala realized that if he was going to promote Buddhism, if he was going to work tirelessly for the, for the promotion of Buddhism, then he was going to have to handle money and in a way have a more worldly life than he would have wanted, a very active worldly life in, uh, for, in the service of the Dharma. But when he came close to death, he, he realized he could actually take monastic vows, he didn't have to handle money anymore. His work was kind of done. So he took monastic vows shortly before he died which was his long-term wish. So let's turn to the other person on the refuge tree who I know is really, really significant to our order and a big part of the sort of re-establishment of Buddhism in India. And, and I know that you, uh, well, I've often heard you speak about Dr. Ambedkar. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Some people might know a little bit about him. Some people might know nothing at all. Yeah, so um, Dr. Ambedkar was, um, well, he was really the greatest Buddhist social activist that ever lived, really. Um, and I say that, well, apart from the Buddha himself, but I say that consciously that he was a Buddhist who was a social activist, um, because I think sometimes that gets a bit confused. Dr. Ambedkar had a lifelong um, interest and, um, well, devotion to Buddhism, 
And um, he had this central question. Uh, he was born into uh, the scheduled caste, which is the um, India's, you, you may or may not know this um, if you're listening, but Indian um, society is, is divided into castes. And um, he was of the lowest, lowest caste, uh, which who were at that time called the untouchables, just to give you an idea that they were deemed untouchable by people from higher caste. Um, he himself managed to gain an education. He was the first um, person from the scheduled caste to finish high school. Um, and he was sponsored by the Maharaja of Baroda, amongst others, to gain higher education. So he he went actually and got a PhD in Columbia University in the US in, in um, London School of Economics in London, and he was called to the bar at Gray's Inn. So he had a phenomenal, phenomenal intelligence and application to study at great personal cost. Um, and he could have lived a really great, you know, nice life. He could have become, you know, a lawyer or whatever over in in uh, in America or or the UK. But he decided he well, he realised that actually he wanted to devote his life to the uplift of the scheduled caste. So he went back to India and lived a very very hard life um, with this concern to um, to really enable the. Um, India to get rid of um, what he called graded inequality in Indian society, particularly, but he wanted to get rid of graded inequality in the world. Um, graded inequality meaning that from the situation of your birth, you're stratified into um, higher or lower castes or higher or lower positions in society um, from birth. So he wanted to get rid of that graded inequality in society and. Um, he tried political and economic and social means, and they did go a large way to help, but he was also disillusioned with those means because he said that whatever political things you put in place or economic changes you make, um, caste and inequality in society is created by mind. And he said, what the mind creates, the mind can undo. So what he realized was that Buddhism was the force that would um, enable inequality to be destroyed in the mind. Um, and that's why Buddhism was so important, because it uh, promotes a just and fair society, and it helps people uh, eradicate inequality in the mind itself. Um, of course, that really inspired Bhante. He said, Bhante said of himself, he hadn't really understood the social dimension of existence um, let alone the social dimension of Buddhism, but it was Dr. Ambedkar who made him see, oh, these, you know, that the Buddhism has a potential not just for the individual, but for society itself. Just listening to you um, speak at the moment, I, I'm sort of struck by, uh, I suppose, some of the ways in which the qualities of those two men that you're talking about are present in the way we think about. For, well, just for example, the importance uh, of Sangha in, in Tri Ratna in relation to other kind of Buddhist groups that have been established in the West as kind of new Buddhist movements. Like there's, there's something really, really fundamental about Sangha relationship. The relationship between us in a variety of ways is so important to our practice and a kind of vision for 
um, Buddhism, that's not just something that you do quietly on a cushion, but that's something that you do in society and for society, and that has that offers a vision for how we can live together, you know, in, in various ways. Um, yeah, so it's just really lovely to see, to have that thread so clearly pulled through in the refuge tree alongside these other teachers of the past who have a, you know, a range of different qualities, don't they? Um, but it's really, really great. I mean, I suppose the thing about all those figures that Bhante wanted on the tree is all of them have um, seen the Dharma in themselves, but also seen, um, you know, also work to enable other people to access what they've accessed particularly the teachers of the past, um, set up Buddhist schools, made major changes in their time um, and in their place to enable the spread of Buddhism. So, And I think that really does influence Bhante. But, yeah, those two figures in particular, I think, think really changed how Bhante saw what the spiritual life was because before that, in a way, he would have been content to just stay in his small vihara in Kalimpong. I think he was very happy there. You know, and uh, he could have just stayed there very happily. But I think those two figures, Anagarika Dharmapala and Dr. Ambeka, really kind of stirred him up to think it's not enough to stay here in my vihara. It's not enough. And, and, and presumably for at least some of us, some of the time, it's not enough to stay in our viharas, whether they're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lounge viharas or community viharas or <laughs> whatever that is yeah yeah I mean personally I've gained so much by my connection with the order in India I think it's one of the ben real benefits of our order that it's so um international and that you've got the influence of Dr Ambedkar um in the in our sangha so closely because I think yeah there is a pull um, well, one of the things Sangharachita says is there's a pull in Buddhism towards laziness, you know, that it's it can become a little bit self-referential. And um, and apart from that, I mean, the, the Indian Sangha is so joyful because for them, you know, Buddhism, well, it's, um, it's removing the root of inequality um, and generational oppression. So when they become Buddhists, they're so completely delighted and happy. It's got a significance beyond themselves. Um, and uh, it's a very, very joyful thing. And I think we can really learn something from that. It's not, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, I've heard friends um, in India say, well, my becoming a Buddhist slave saved me from slavery. And Dr. Ambeke saved me from slavery. And I think that spirit can also be with us who, you know, um, in a sense of, of feeling like, yeah, you can be a slave to your own mind. You can be a slave to consumerist society. And um, Buddhism is a force of liberation and a force for good and openness and connection with others and a care for others. And so I think that's what I also get from the Indian Sangha is just a level of joy and happiness um, that is delighting in Buddhist practice. Hmm. Maybe I'll tell a little story myself with this so when uh, I asked for ordination at like the first retreat I came to at Tiratnaloka was a going for refuge uh, retreat and there was the going for refuge and prostration practice that was done every afternoon and the reason I chose that retreat first was I thought well this is going to be it there's no ways I'm going to like this at all it's so 
it was so contrary to how I imagined things were going to be and, and how what I thought of myself. Um, and then I, I arrived and started doing the practice and just loved it, like this sort of uh, unexpected, um, I don't know, sort of awakening of, of the mythology, I suppose, of where... I suppose where and how we understand our lives, you know, and um, maybe it goes back to that that uh, what you were just saying about a kind of liberation uh, from whatever within whatever the context is, and a liberation that's not just our own liberation. Uh, in the, the going for refuge and prostration practice, you also imagine doing the practice with and for all beings. So you've got the refuge tree, maybe up there, <laughs> something like that. Um, and you have all beings with you. And, and in a way, it's a very, very whole, it's a very whole practice, certainly body, speech and mind in that process. And I remember just having these incredible, like, um, shards of bliss. <laughs> oh, of course, it's not always like that. But I, I do remember it, it really opening a door for me. So yeah. So earlier on, you said there were two reasons why you got um, involved in working on this book. So the one was your relationship with the refuge tree um, and the figures and the importance of that. Do you know what the other one was? Um, well, it was the, the, the connection with India. Mm, okay. So, yeah, so the connection with India and the connection with um, the, the, the practice itself and doing it here. Mm. Um, and partly I've, I've sort of seen a bit like you I think it's a practice that goes very deep in people and it does put you in a different context of your dharma life um, instead of seeing it it's almost like it kind of cosmically flips your perspective so instead of you kind of battling it away with the hindrances or whatever's going on in your mind and trying to meditate and get a bit of a kind of clearer and calmer life um kind of there's a kind of cosmic flip that turns around so that actually you realize that you're part of the buddhist movement that's started um with the buddha in this world era not even with him that there's a whole lineage of buddhas whenever the conditions are right um buddhahood will arise so you're part of this kind of movement of the universe um that was expressed in our time in the buddha shakyamuni and has spread throughout the whole of the world uh, and you're part of that with all beings so it sort of breaks you out of this slightly as you say a kind of slightly narrow focus um which in itself is very very joyful so well i also wanted to say thank you vegetarian i mean we we um uh kulananda finished the book 20 years ago and he's in a sort of different place in his life and he's doing other things at the moment and it was just really lovely to work uh, with both of you together but with you writing the new text and and um, Aloka has done some new line drawings which is fantastic and both Chintamani and Aloka gave some input into how the visuals should be and um, and you've written the new text. And so I'm really looking forward to having that new volume out and about, obviously for people who are going to be doing these practices as part of the ordination training, but also just more broadly for people to, uh, um, yeah, to read and, and learn a little bit more about the history of their own lineage and the Buddhist tradition more broadly. So that's really fantastic. And in fact, you've got another link here because the cover for... Um, for this new edition has been done by Akasa Jyoti, 
who <laughs> so it's the first time Mikasa Jyoti's done a cover for us, which looks really, really great. And and you ordained her, so it's yeah, we're all in the lineage. Me we're all in the lineage. I mean, <laughs> I, sp- I suppose I should sort of say that also that when Arlo redid the line drawing, Bunty wanted some iconographical changes made, and, and the one that's most noticeable is that when Arlo first did a line drawing of the refuge tree or painting of the refuge tree, Bunty wanted Padmasambha right in the kind of middle as a central axis above um above the buddha but uh in in his sort of later years he wanted a padmasambha be, to be seen less as an archetypal figure and more as a historical figure um in a kind of what they say a pandit's cap um and not necessarily in a central axis it does throw the image um to have him as a central axis because there's four tibetan teachers so you have to move two on one side and one on the other. So he, he's taken out of the central axis, but it doesn't mean he's not as important. He's such a major inspiration for um, Sangrach's own spiritual life as well. But it is um, it is a change. And I think, I mean, I heard an interview with Chintamani, because it was out of discussion with Chintamani that he made that change. And uh, Chintamani was saying that what Banti wanted to do was sort of emphasize um the myth of history you know that in a way in modern culture we see things in historical terms rather than mythic terms sometimes and that Padmasambha has got a dual axis um a dual kind of approach he can be archetypal and a mythical character but he can also be a historical character as well so um in this particular version he's more of a historical uh, character so yeah, thank you so much. Maybe um, maybe we'll have a chance to talk to you again sometime after the books um, come out. And um, it's uh, it's really good to have you working with us on a book. Who knows? <laughs> maybe we'll be working with you on other books down the line. Let's see. Yeah. Well, um, it's my been my pleasure, and I'm just so glad to see it back in print. I think that's so helpful for a lot of people. I know here, you know. Um, it's been something that we've needed for a long time. And it's just a fantastic book to read about all these different figures, you know, a real broad range of the historical and the mythical and archetypal um, uh, figures on the refuge tree. And it really does give you an, an, a sense of what the spiritual life is and can be and a sense of rooting your own practice in a broader context of uh yeah, that whenever conditions are right, Buddhahood will arise. And that works for us as well as for um, ancient um, times, people in ancient India. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you, Vajitara. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, lovely to catch up and to talk about such an important project. Windhorse Publications is part of the Tree Ratna Buddhist community. And this podcast is sponsored by Future Dharma Fund a Buddhist fundraising charity which helps fund Dharma projects across the world, including ours. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider donating to them to help them fund current and future projects like ours. You can find out more about Windhorse Publications by going to our website.